Good evening. Good evening. Hi. I'm really excited to um, have you all here tonight for another program in our Poetry and Conversation series. That's been an ongoing series since about January, February, where we pair one, two, sometimes three poets, and they read, and then we have a little Q&A session with them. So we're, we're really glad that you could be here tonight for Linda Joy and Love. Um, and tonight is really exciting because it's the first slam stage poem event that we've had in this series. Um, and we're going to introduce both poets to you, and then Linda and Linda Joy and Michelle will or Love will provide a more personal introduction to each other's work. They will then read, perform together, maybe separately. We're going to let that evolve, and um, followed by some Q and A from all of you. And then we'll conclude the evening again with um, another brief reading performance from both of the poets. And I'm going to start with um, Linda Joy, um, performance poet, writer, percussionist, and photographer. Linda Joy Burke is a 2002 Distinguished Black Maryland Award recipient for art from Towson University's Office of Diversity. A 2004 Poetry for the People Baltimore Legacy Award recipient and a 2007 Columbia Festival of the Arts Poetry Slam winner. She is currently a consulting editor to Little Patuxent Review and a Maryland State Arts Council coordinator for the Poetry Out Loud National Recitation Competition. Linda Joy's poetry has appeared in numerous publications, including Little Patuxent Review, Obsidian Two, Beltway, Passenger, Thy Mother's Glass, Gargoyle 54, and When Divas Laugh. In 2011, she released the first in a series of chapbooks, Moods, Minds, and Multitudes, Somewhere Between There and Here, a collection of photographs and poetry. Michelle Antoinette Nelson, also known as Love the Poet, is a prominent indie artist author on the national performance and literary art scenes and in the field of creating, creative writing education. She has appeared on CNN as a speaker at the Jenna Six Rally in Washington, D.C., authored the book Black Marks on White Paper, received the 2011 Baker B. Grant Award, released multiple spoken, award, spoken word CDs, and performed at the Smithsonian and college campuses nationwide. Michelle is also a guitarist, a Punani poet, as seen on HBO, <laughs> an, active mem <laughs> an active member of the Maryland Speakers Bureau, a host at Busboys and Poets, the creator of Live Lyrics, creative writing workshops, founder host of Be Free Fridays, a monthly open mic series, and an active member of Poetry for the People Baltimore. And I'm, please help me welcome Linda Joy Burke and Michelle Antoinette Nelson, or Love the Poet. Mark, this is a moment in history. Um, to have the opportunity to have love and joy both <laughs> in the same space. Indeed. So hopefully you go home and you're like floating on air and you don't notice the strange people driving badly. Um, I met love 
when she was 20, I believe. Mm -hmm. She was a college student, and she was, uh, you were at... I was at Coppin. At Coppin, now Coppin University. It was uh, Coppin State College at the time. And she was participating in something called Battle of the Schools. That's (laughs) S-K-O-O-L-Z. And I was one of the judges, and she actually competed with another poet, two two other poets, or one, yeah, two other poets. And I remember love, 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 you know, love's a hip-hop poet with heart. And um, not only is she a hip-hop poet, poet with heart, um, the new kids on the block, she's one of the new kids that decided to take this on, take this industry on and make her life, uh, life's work being a poet. Um, so... I have in my iPod her, from iTunes, her um, latest CD, and this one song that keeps going through my head, something about da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Pain and Smile. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I have her music stuck in my head, and I know a little bit more about her. I know that she just learned how to play the guitar about two years ago, and her guitar teacher said that she was an amazing study. And, you know, in terms of the upcoming generation of, of young voices, um, love and the community that she's involved with, poetry for the people who I've had the pleasure of working with and mentoring over the years, they are what <clears throat> bring hope to the city. Um, they work with young people, with youth, and empowering youth and women. And um, so I'm really just so pleased to be able to share this space with you, Miss Love. Wow. When I was uh, first asked to do this, it was a bit of a dream come true to be able to sit next to Miss Linda Joy Burke and perform and share my poetry and, and my work with you all. Like she said, we met, wow, 11 years ago. Um, and, yeah, I'm 31. He's doing the math over there. He's like, huh? <laughs> I know when she, when she was like, I met her when she was 20, y'all were like, uh, I was like, when? Um, so, uh, yeah, well, we both were blessed with the, the, the youthful look, you know. Um, and one of the things that really stood out to me about her was I knew that because based on the intro that they gave of each judge, I knew that she was an elder in the community, and I use the term loosely, but I knew that she was, you know, one of the people who um, were staple in what it is that, that we were in, embarking to do, whatever we wanted, were, were trying to do. She had already done it and done it very well and was still doing it. And at the end of the night, and what she failed to, to mention was that, yes, I, I am a bit of a hip-hop poet, but I was also very bold and a little crazy. Um, <laughs> And I came in making a statement in my clothing. Um, I had on a rainbow scarf. I had on a rainbow belt. I had on a rainbow shirt. I had on rainbow dog tags. I was... I have it on tape. Uh, I was very much like, this is me. I'm out. I'm proud. I'm me. And, you know, she walked up to me afterwards and just kind of shook, shook my hand and said, you know, thank you for just being you yeah. and not being scared yeah. and just being, yeah, yeah, you really, like, it was just a few words, mm-hmm. but it has stuck with me to this day. Mm-hmm. 
And we have had the opportunity to work together um, with Poetry for the People. Um, I've seen Linda Joy perform with her instruments and, and, and the poetry and just the kind of like what just happened when she was doing the mic check and she just kind of whispered and the whole room was like, that was the feeling, and, 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 and I don't know if she knows this, but we are all, you know, the ones who are trying to, to do what you have done, you and Jackie Terry and Nefertiti, you guys were our, our mothers, you know, and we know that. And, and having Wendiva's laugh, uh, this piece here, an amazing anthology, um, uh-huh. I'm sorry, I'm talking too much. I, I'm sorry, I just wanted to just go on about you. But this is, yeah, this, yeah, this is, this is a wonderful woman here. And, and since I'm going to start it off, I'm going to do this poem that I actually started the Battle of the Schools with uh, 11 years ago. My mama used to tell me, little girl, don't go there. My mama used to tell me, little girl, don't go there. But it's my poet's tree where alone I sit in silence hoping no one would notice me. But eventually my elevation would tell on me so I'd have to come down physically. But mentally I keep my head up constantly because I, I am my poet's tree. Mm. But mentally I keep my head up constantly. I'm sorry, y'all. This is why you write a book. <laughs> know that embrace it poets and this is the first stage to page to stage right? yes <laughs> and I had this hold on here My mama used to tell me, little girl, don't go there. My mama used to tell me, little girl, don't go there. But it's my poetry where alone I sit in silence hoping no one would notice me. But eventually my elevation would tell on me so I'd have to come down physically. But mentally I keep my head up constantly because it's my poetry. I want to build a house in it one day. That's what he used to say about my poetry. But it's four walls and that ceiling that are built by my poetry are the very things igniting the lyrical lynchings that are self-inflicted. And now I'm dangling from my poetry. My mom used to tell me, little girl, don't go there. So now I'm walking softly like the limbs of my great oak are going to break. Like I'm not the rainbow for God's sake and the sun's arms wouldn't catch me and place me delicately back on my feet. Like, like, like your glass so I should turn down my supersonic blast just to save your fragile ass. Amidst my poet's tree. Where I've snapped the rope that's hanging me because now we are one. My throat is solid wood too strong to be dangling from my own insecurities. No more walking cautiously because now I'm stationary. If my words are for you, then avoid this poetry tree. Turn around and walk away from me because I will never be chopped down. You see, my mama used to tell me, little girl, don't go up there. My mama used to tell me, little girl, don't go up there. But it's cool, mama. Because now I am my poetry. I found my roots to sit in soil centuries older than me. And every year new friendships grow and they stay up there with me. But with the seasons come the change and they descend eventually. Some stay right beside me, though. 
Now I'm mature and brown with age, and that's cool because they feel my energy with each of the sun's rays as poetry ignites my insides. And now I'm writing fa- page for page. I've been doing this for years through summer's days and winter's nights as the sun wounds up my inside, allowing me to write with fire in my blood and God's hand holding me steady. You see, I am my poetry. We merge mentally to stop my breakdown emotionally, a uh, rebirth and now sacred earth where Michelle becomes love and realizes her worth. My mom used to tell me, little girl, don't go up there. My mom used to tell me, little girl, don't go up there. But I always did without a care. Now, others sit up there to keep me company, and I've hushed my worst critic, y'all. I've stopped downing me. So in order to grow, in order to learn, in order to live, in order to teach, I've become my poet's tree. These are some of my blues. The library will be closing in five minutes. I come from a time of air raid warnings and the threat of rockets, red glare, and who's got a bomb shelter, and eating fish on Fridays, and wearing hats to Sunday school, and praying to that omnipotent God to please save my little ass. I'm going to read that again. I come from a time of air raid warnings and the threat of the rocket's red glare and who's got a bomb shelter and eating fish on Fridays and wearing hats to Sunday mass and praying to that omnipotent God to please save my little ass. Now that's right. I come from the James Brown time of saying it loud that we were black and we were proud. I come from the James Brown time of saying we were black and we were proud of our nappy-headed heritage and so once again renamed of this we would sing. I come from a dangerous time of secrets and lies, a hand-me-down time, a violent time of speaking only when spoken to, of stop crying or I'm going to give you something to cry for, take what you get because you got no choice or opinions or rights time, an unforgiving time, a time when children were not wise. I come from a time of bombings and riots and tear gas and fire hoses and assassinations and cities burning to the ground, a time of evolution and confusion and delusion that somewhere here in this America there were streets still paved with gold, a time when children were not wise. I come from a time when everyone left who they thought they were. I come from a time when everyone left who they thought they were to find out who they wanted to be in the first place amidst a world made in haste and then made and then laid and then laid minute by minute to waste by the unconcerned masses. I come from the time of earth shoes and afros and sit-ins and love-ins and five-finger discounts and panhandling Georgetown musicians singing their own version of these times got a hold of me blues. 
I come from a time of long-term heart-to-hearts with plants and cats and pieces of land that aren't really mine, and with women who have been mothers and sisters and age-old kin and lovers, and with men who have been, from the very beginning, closely bled in like brothers. I come from the time of the ceaseless struggle to keep up with the tick-tock, 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 tick-tock of the clock, a time of hoarding fleeting moments of awe and natural bliss. I come from the time of survival of the fittest, a time when children were not wise. I am every woman. Every whisper, every endeavor, every person, I embody exploitation. I reach into the insides of your soul. I taught stargazers and peeping toms everything that they know. Look into my eyes. I may turn you into stone or turn stone into wine. Liberation, libation, free you from your shell and carnal desires. I inspire empires. Their rise and their fall. I am the lover, the hater, the cheater, the faithful. I'm any and everything that mouths could ever call. Listen to the world spin. That's music banging off its walls. And gravity beats heavily so we write scripts upon a scroll only for their burial, making excavation possible. So I dig that be the expression of the next generation to be called. By the sound of everything I've ever been and all I will become, I am the mission, the point person for existence, the passion. So pass, I on to inspire them all. I am every woman and I have nothing but goodness in my chest. And as sure as my heart beats in my left breast, I sleep without rest. Because my family don't embrace my goodness, we digress. While every year continues to progress and I begin to love this person of the same sex, limitless. I am depressed. Because whenever I discuss my love's diligence, I see my daddy's heartbreak with disgust, disappointment, with prayers of a holy water-based ointment to relieve me of this sickness. He deems the people like me wicked. Thanks to someone defiled his child's pureness, says that my sexuality will be the double death of me and my ministry, minuscule, until I go into the churches and be the preacher's tool to fool every person in the pew. All three overflow rooms and even the deacons in the vestibule, convincing them that I am a blessed poet. And not because my words show it, and not because my walk's fluent with a humble bop to it, but because I don't sin. I don't sleep torment about the likes of him, yeah. Because I like men. So just call me Mrs. Johnson. Hear my words echo off of the chapel ceilings like who I am sleeping with is any of their business. Regardless of the fact that me and my woman don't even have to touch hands and I would still be indulging in the sweetness of her spirit. He says confess. So God hears it. Repent so that your light will be brighter lit. And last time I checked, God don't give illumination and wattage. So if I shine, it's because he saw fit. Regardless of the sentiment in the pulpit. And I'm so steeped in subliminal sadness. I spark spliffs, herbs sift the seedless, folic, roll, sit, inhale a bit for an uplift out of the darkness of your well intent. Keep that shit. Because real non-judgment don't have a disclaimer on it. 
just a genuine smile and a hug. And more time spent with my family would mean less with a dub. But they don't want to be involved with my modern-day leprosy. Like these stains on my record reflect my life's integrity, but these stains really only exist because they can't see nothing but dirt on me. So I choose to peruse schools of thought that perceive me cleanly. I run from the Christian who is a slave trying to free me. The opinion of a church minion ain't particularly appealing because God said things, yes. And Jesus surely came. But the high priest passes and others ordained leave my people drained. Feeling like they ain't nothing. And while they're waiting for the second coming, they forget that Jesus bared the scars on the cross on his back so we could be godly just like that. Not to worship his abilities, but to act as he acts and not to crucify your children because they don't subscribe to your facts. But my depression is not your problem. And my happiness is not your trauma. So I exist in the throes of insomnia because my family... Minus my mom and some can't understand that the way I live and who I love has nothing to do with them. So uh, obviously, oops, obviously we decided that we, instead of one poet reading for 20 minutes straight and the other poet, we are going to sort of bounce off of each other. <clears throat> And uh, see what kind of themes come up. Um, and uh, I look at how we shift in a life, how we shift in our own personal selves, how we shift in culture. So this has nothing to do with what you just did. <laughs> but it does in a way, um, because the poem is called Progress. Um, so it seemed like a good segue. Progress, and I have to say, this progress was in 2004, so I'm due for an update. Um, (laughs) The series started with a poem called Two Cool Reflections on the Double Digit Double Helix, and I just realized this is 8-8-2012, so this is a double digit double helix. Um, And if I actually remember the poem... I shall remember this year's passing as an evolution as a, 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 a as an evolution of the language I knew as a child, where crack is no longer a line on the sidewalk that you don't want to step on in case you break your mother's back or fall through to China, where AIDS is an unpopular appetite suppressant that doesn't help anyone in the greenhouse effect is no longer confined to botanical decorators. See, I start speaking fast like you now. <laughs> That's so spoken word poets, they get to me, you know. Um, <laughs> Where AIDS is no longer an appetite suppressant that doesn't help anyone, where the greenhouse effect is no longer uh, confined to botanical decorators, where uh, crack doesn't mean don't step on and break your mother's back, and that's all I remember. So if it's in the book, I'll read it. This is the 2004 version, Progress. Progress. Progress is a staged identity masked in the fiber-optic anonymity of the mainframe. Sorry. (laughs) 
And progress lives in a sustainable rubber tire house in Black Rock, surfs the net for companionship, downloads pirated MP3s into iPods, reaches out to strangers for IM conversations in ISP chat rooms, shuns invasions of privacy. That was then. I need to update this. Sister in the back in the red agrees. Yes, definitely. Progress thrives off stealing lives from online virtual reality gamers who morph through brick and mortar because rising from dungeons to vistas is the natural high of choice for eggheads needing a new world view. Progress does fast deals on Blackberries, has a hijack conversation on a cell phone, finds her carjacked Escalade on 14th and U. She's locked into OnStar, LoJack, extraterrestrial satellite, tracking it to the interstate of a new world view. Progress processes everything possible that the fickle pop culture consumes, has zero tolerance for removing slow and easy, or working too hard to gain state-of-the-art knowledge. Progress will flash you in your face. You better act like you know her. Mm, all right. She'll overload your memory, max out your cash. In your space, she'll make sure to change everything. See what I'm saying? I like that. Um, This piece that I'm going to do actually has a little bit of a story behind it. I remember calling up Linda Joy. I was reading this here when Divas laughed. And when I was about 10 years old, there was a war that started. And it started on my birthday. But before it started on my birthday, about 2 a.m., this was the war in Desert Storm. I found out at 10 years old, I was turning 10, I was 9, that Bush Sr. was going to start the war on Martin Luther King's birthday, his actual birthday, January 15th. And I was furious. I'm little now. Picture me littler. (laughs) Running through the hallways. I grew up in Columbia, Howard County, Maryland. And... uh, Run through the hallways of Phelps like elementary school, man. <laughs> Telling my teachers, Don't, this, is not, this is not okay. How can they start a war on Martin Luther King's birthday? And it meant more than my birthday's the day after his. So I, I knew all about him, okay? I was all about him. And I was like, how can they do that? Everybody looked at me like I was insane. My family was like, I don't quite get you. My dad was like, eh, I don't know. So I read this as an adult. I think I, I don't know when I, ha- I got this. I was probably like 26 or something. And I see this stanza in this poem. And this is, it's called, This is Why I Remember King. And it says, I remembered King when on his legal birthday, the debut of the war theater Desert Storm America at War, opened to this free country as another president betrayed everything King stood for. I didn't know what to do. I just called her on the phone and said, you have no idea what you've just done. And this piece, because all the time I thought maybe I was just a little high strung. 
okay. <laughs> I was. But I was upset. So this piece I wrote, which speaks about that whole situation and how I felt about it a little bit, it's called Enough is Enough. And I, I need a little crowd participation with this. Can I get that from you guys? Yeah. Awesome. It's inspired, and it definitely was inspired by the uh, Gina Six rally I, I got an opportunity to speak at in D.C. So when I say enough, I want you all to say, is enough. Enough. Is enough. Enough. Is enough. Enough. Is enough. Enough. Is enough. Michelle Antoinette Nelson. First name Hebrew. Definition so nothing is lost in translation. Who is like the Lord? Initials M-A-N. Spelling who, gave, who God gave dominion. So don't get it twisted. I am truly gifted. The Hebrew of brown hue. My color skewed from beams of light strewn across a consonant huge to being black labeled. She ain't nothing but a jigaboo. Why does she lock her do her crown? Coming from folks who ain't never been down. And at 10 years old, my voice began to resound. Hearing whispers of, pipe down, child. Martin Luther is long gone now. While military infantry's hankered down on TV, sounding off. Saudi hearts pounding, getting lost in the media circus. Plastering the first war to be aired on prime time TV circuits. Not me. Almost three years shy of being a teen, I mean. Desert storm slated to begin on the 15th. Murderous tirades like Edie Amin sparked off like sirens on January 16th. Happy birthday to me. Celebrating, I became a light beam, embodied my first name and flew past earthly things. God bless my lower extremities with the agility of Achilles. So I be like I am, leaving heads spinning, running tracks made from fragments of the earth's axis. Read my track list. Michelle Antoinette's rebirth chrysalis will move this planet. Understand the root of this poetess. When I began to walk, they called me Hurricane Agnes. True story. When talking commenced, I expanded the whirlwind, dubbed then little Angela Davis and militant midget to spark diligent rants about injustice. So I reminisce until my ink, ink pen skips and fails to drip about cameo appearances I made and lives lived by scripts. I flip them as the world turns. Soap stained minds, I de-scum with, with words that cleanse some. Got only one life to live and we're living real dumb. So use your guiding light to blind them. The time has now come to rally for freedom, calling out to the masses, people stand up. Enough. 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 Speak, sister. Speak, brother. Speak, brother Malcolm in the shadows. Speak words that echo to earlobes of future heroes with black fists rose. Wearing capes of purple and gold robes to represent royal ideals. All power to all people. We need to stop looking at this life through peepholes. Your skin tone is not circumstantial evidence that makes you criminal. We will free our kinfolk. By any means necessary. See the big picture, the deception in the scripture. The reality to some is scary, but fear is what they count on. So hush, nigga. Hush, nigga. Keep marching on into oblivion, because we will never steer you wrong. Just don't march in our direction. Stay your ass in the colored section. Let us and Gina fester in our sores. Maintain our disease infections, our constant rejection of a new day. The 2007 resurrection of the movement. Keep our niggas restricted and bound by unjust laws. Keep on marching beyond these walls. See, they are unknowing that as in Jericho, each one will fall. Because God is in all of y'all who take up arms, raising fists strong, screaming enough, enough. and answering 
when courage calls. Enough is enough. We've been sleeping for far too long. People, wake up. Leaving suburbia. Days of the ticking of the clock gone round. The alarm sounds the race against green, yellow, red, green, yellow, red, green, yellow, red, changing too fast in the day. Slow down to flashing in the night. Pedestrians march past city pigeons seldom startled into flight. Church bells chiming, car alarms beeping and whining. Merchants unlocking and raising their gates. Clank of change in computerized drawers. Retrograde fashions clogging the stores. Clandestine smugglers. <coughs> block. Blocking office building doors. Fast cars with vanity plates, passing panhandlers with box card signs, begging the movers for ten times a dime. And some shady man selling contraband. Taps me on the shoulder. He said, we ain't going to get much older. Seems all the world is thieves. Straight at the top, it ain't going to stop this foolish land a plenty bit. And you and I, we be getting by by just ignoring all this shit. (laughs) He said, take my hand. You got to make a stand to deal with this unnatural life. He said, have a smoke. You see, it's all a joke, and then you'll be naturally aware. And then maybe you won't have to care about selling and buying your souls. Wind blows suddenly against the porch chime. Angelic sound slows down too fast time. Jangled on the wind. We get to ask, answer questions. Yeah, that's okay. Um, so thank you. This is fantastic. I'm totally energizing and inspiring. Um, but we're just going to take a little break to ask, do a Q&A. And um, I'm going to kick things off um, by asking a question about performance poetry, because in this Who poetry and conversation... Who are you? Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sure... <laughs> I'm sorry. Stranger I'm walked in the room to I ask questions. <laughs> no, I'm, um, I, I'm, a, I'm legitimate. I'm a Pratt. Uh, <laughs> I had to come late because I, um, I was working a desk. But I'm Shailene, okay. and I've oh, been hi, helping Shailene. with this. Hey. Hey. Hello. Everybody say hi to Shailene. Welcome, Shailene. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't you know, know you're in the presence of love and joy. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Um, I feel so, it. Yeah. So, you know, we want you to feel welcomed yeah, and yeah. acknowledged. And hi, Shailene. It's so nice to meet okay, you. Okay, thank you. It's nice to meet you, too. And um, I just wanted to, I, I was going to say, this is the first time in our Poetry and Conversation series that we've had um, performance poets um, involved, or, I mean, I guess that's what you would call it, if you, if, you're, if you feel comfortable with that term for at least some of your that's fine. work. Yeah. That's awesome. um, so I thought maybe we would start things off by maybe um, asking, what is, how do you define that? What is performance poetry? And like, how is that tr- different from traditional poetry that's just on the page? 
You want to start or I can start? It doesn't um, to. You go ahead. Okay, for me, um, it's a, uh, poetry for the page, some of the poetry that's written on the page um, is really for the quiet contemplative reading. Mm. And um, I have some very short pieces that I know. You know, I can actually, I personally can perform, say, say salt and pepper and make it entertaining. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> word, word. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that in the crafting of the work, there are pieces that really do well on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, and the piece that I just did, Leaving Suburbia, that was actually a combination of two pieces, um, and something, I kept looking at it, and I kept looking at it, and I saw a character emerge from those pieces. And so that's what happens for me sometimes, is that if I see a character or a voice, or somebody, somebody else comes into me, um, when I was younger, I actually did one poem where I had like nine voices, and mm. I did it in an audience where people had multiple personalities. They thought it was hilarious. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Wow. You know, so, um, <clears throat> but I don't do that anymore. It's just too hard to go that, that far. But, um, mm-hmm. uh, so that's part of, part of the answer for me. Um, I think that for me... Performance, like I've I've had to kind of mold this over because I I teach adults, I do teach adults poetry and kids. And um, I think that the difference in, I guess, in the spoken word or in in the literary poetry would be, I mean, we we deal more in um, just like type, like confessional um, narrative things like that as opposed to focusing so much on form and and being as precise as maybe when it is on the page. Um, like Linda Joy said, I honestly believe that anything can be performed. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't, it's, you know, but anything can be performed. Um, it just is a matter of how you decide to bring it f- to life. Um, but in my book, I also have some pieces that are just for your reading pleasure, but I, I think that the performance aspect of it, it also, in, you know, it, it combines theater, you know, it combines just being able to to step kind of outside of yourself and share something that is um, is is very personal, but you, you kind of just take that extra step and give it to the people the way you want. For me, when I first started doing uh, performance poetry, I just didn't want people to read my work because I didn't think they would get it the way I wanted them to. But over the years, I realized, and that's why I ended up writing Black Marks on White Paper, I realized that regardless of how I present it, you're still going to get it the way you're going to get it. That's what poetry does. It's very smart. So that was, sometimes that's what people do. Thank you. Um, can someone, with someone else? Oh, and I, I forgot to say, we'd love to have everyone else ask questions, but um, we're trying to... Uh, Record. Um, so, if you have a question, we're going to bring you the microphone. If you so raise your hand, um, and we've got a mic over here. If anyone else has an, um, Tim, um, Lisa, do you want to transport the mic? <laughs> no, I want to segue onto what. Oh, please, <coughs> Michelle said. Please when do. I first started, when I was writing, um, when I was when I was in my twenties, um, I was chasing the coffee house scene. Mm. And um, when she says that we are the elders, um, I have no problem telling people I'm 55. So I've been performing for over 35 years. 
excuse me, and um, there, there has been a series of different kinds of venues and, and, and spoken word came, the, excuse me, the industry of slam changed everything. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I was in what was known as performing po performance poetry, so I was doing black light poems, mm. and I was doing some more theatrical stuff. I was working with the digital delay, um, doing bringing the djembe in, playing music. And then slam and, and, and spoken word came, and, and slam and spoken word were more form formulaic. Mm -hmm. um, and there were more rules, you couldn't use props. You know, so me and my bag of props and my djembe and the audience participating in music, that wouldn't work for slam. So I didn't actually go in that direction. Mm. Um, but also there's a sort of cadence that happens with a lot of the spoken word poets. And the best of the best, they can vary themselves. Mm. You know, um, but there's a kind of a cadence there that's kind of interesting. And I've seen it evolve over the years um, with people that do, uh, 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 what do you call it, um, when you do more than one ensemble work. Mm -hmm. Ensemble work with poets and spoken word is just absolutely amazing. Um, and it's, it's part of the sound and the ambience, you know. <laughs> he's good. Um, but, um, you know, in the sense that um, when you have that ensemble work and you're doing, like we could do a piece mm -hmm. and interpret that piece. Um, but the great gift about spoken word was that a lot of times you go to literary readings, and this was what was so for me. I'd go to a literary reading, and the poet would be here, mm -hmm. and they would read, and they would do very serious work, and it would be very lovely and good, but I didn't know if they were, I didn't know who, who they, I didn't feel them, I didn't sense them. Mm. And the evolution of the hip-hop culture and spoken word and slam was um, another evolution, cultural evolution, where people felt the need to be in connection with each other. So it wasn't so much, I mean, it, it, and, and, and you know, there's a lot of conversation right now between uh, the, the older uh, spoken word artists about craft. Because there's a certain point where you're, as a, as, a, as a performer, you're like, oh, my God, I got the buzz. You know, audiences love me. It's wonderful. It's a charge. I'm going to say salt and pepper 14 times, and they're going to love me. Salt and pepper, salt and pepper, salt and pepper. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's snap. Okay? So, you, so, 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 so now there's, a, there's a, a sense, and I hear a rumbling that, you know, people got to start reading other poets and oh, start yeah. getting off of their own ego. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, in the, in the best of it, when I was doing it and going to coffee houses and doing the open mics, all of us were doing that because we needed to have somebody to say, you know, you're good, we like you, mm -hmm. come join our community, True. come embrace, you're embraced by our community. People who write for the page, they don't need that. Mm -mm. People for write for the page are like, you know, I like my space, I like it peaceful, you know. I like to look at the grass and the trees and the doves. And, you know, I want to move to an island. Where? I want to hear what I hear in here. I don't really need that much. You know, I don't watch my own self on, like if I'm recorded, I can't handle yeah. that. I can't, I just don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to see myself, and my ego is not neat. And it's not a bad thing. All of us need, you know, this kind of the energy that the movement gave. And what's funny about this and what's sad and tragic, all of you in this room, you're hearing this conversation, but I'm out in the world and I'm talking to people and I'm talking about the young people that are just like invigorating communities. 
because that's what it does is that they invigorate communities when they're going out and doing the various venues. People go home and they're charged and they're happy and they're maybe inspired and their muses like running rampant, you know, writing funny naked poems, you know. <laughs> but I'm sorry, I just, I needed to. Um, no, it's okay. It's great. No, yeah. Thank you. All right. Yeah. So, Tim, Does, okay. you had a question. <laughs> Thank you, Linda. Mm -hmm. yeah, I just heard that the Maryland Writers Association thing, the uh, Baltimore Citywide Youth Poetry, the Impossible Acronym Group, right. just that morning got back right. from San Francisco. And what you say about community, I mean, they're, they're under 18. Mm -hmm. They are under 18. Mm -hmm. And I've been asking for years where all those people are that uh, you're included, you're young. But back when Linda and I were just a little bit younger than we are now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so my, my question, do, you, do I need this microphone? Yeah, you got for I, the podcast. Okay, I'm terribly loud, so let me not do that. Ten years old, I didn't get the name of that poem. I can get it later. It was enough is Enough. Enough is Enough. Amazing. Thank you. When I was 10, uh, you stayed 10 for a whole year. Yeah. And at the beginning of the fifth grade, I read that that's your happiest year. And everybody started kicking my happiness because 62 drags into 63. And 63, mm -hmm. all the uh, shit <laughs> hit the fan. Mm -hmm. we, had, we had the uh, what is remembered as the speech but we had the four little. Mm. Had the assassinations. We had the four little girls. Yeah. And uh, Birmingham. Mm. And Marjorie Hall in the sixth grade uh, Catholic school, who was she and her brother the only colored children. Mm -hmm. And that's when I really got out of line, high strung, because I used to ask. Katie, who was early senile, what color they were. Mm, and okay. well, she told the colored stories with a German accent, the Irish stories with a Yiddish accent. Wow. I didn't even know there were real Jewish people back then. Wow. Uh, really. 11 years old was when I found out there were real Jewish people. And I know Miss Neville inspired me, um, a lay teacher in a Catholic school, as that high strung running down the school <laughs> hallway. 63 was pretty fucking heavy. Um, edit that out, please. Um, who inspired you? Who, who, who did you look up to? Because the family thought you were, I mean, I got slapped. <laughs> but who inspired you? Um, Take this one. I would say for the most part, I don't know if it was an actual who. I think it was an energy. I try. I try to think back and try to figure out where it came from, what it was. I was given it, um, and I think it was the spirit of my family. Uh, my immediate family didn't quite understand. Even to this day, I can't talk too much about things that are, you know, too deep for them. It's too much. But, uh, like, my father's family, all musicians, singers, you know, my grandmother, she uh, sang in a trio in a time where she could only sing in the theater. And she couldn't sit in it. It's your birthday, and I'm okay. Yeah. And, and 
there's a there's a yeah there's a lot about my when I was a young person I don't know I I know why I started writing it was because my parents separated and somebody handed me a pen and a piece of paper and well that's that was all she wrote um but I don't I don't know if it was any one person that was like epic in in making me think the way I thought or feel the way I felt it was mainly just the energy of 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 my little world yeah did you want to answer no okay thank you just <laughs> Um, as you were reading your poem, Progress, you, you said, this needs to be updated. And yet, as you read it, mm-hmm. I felt that it was resonating with me very much and that it didn't need to be updated because, in fact, things just keep on and keep on and keep on. You know, the same issues plague us again and again, every era and... And so I guess I, I just it's, so it's not so much a question as as it is a comment. But also, you know, if you do update it, will you consider not updating it no, as no. well, um, me, or consider you know that that let it's. Re- let me reframe what I said um, when I said update it, um, and I thank you for the comment. I appreciate that. Um, in reframing it, what I mean is um, I need to look at the shift at 2012. Mm. And what has actually been happening for me is that um, I've been playing with the whole 21st century, how the culture has shifted for the 21st century. We went into Y2K. I'm sure everybody remembered Y2K, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And the sort of chicken little syndrome. <laughs> okay. Can you, can you elaborate on chicken little syndrome? The chicken little syndrome. The sky is falling. Oh, yeah. oh okay. Um, the computers are going to, the computers are going to crash. Planes are going to fall out of the air. Um, traffic lights are going to stop. Um, all of our computers are going to just stop working, and the world is going to end as right. we know it. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the world ended as we knew it mm. in two thousand one. Mm. Okay, and for me in my life, yes, everything is before two thousand one. And after 2001, Mm -hmm. how I act, how I behave, what I do in Mm -hmm. the world. And I keep saying to myself, what happened to me? And then I realized, oh, right, you know, (laughs) my psyche got really shocked. And there was a series of events, and those series of events were huge. And in this piece, I'm talking about more of the technological shift Mm -hmm. and how we shift in communication. And in 2004, I mean, I wasn't on Facebook in 2004, Okay, I was a, I was a Facebook holdout. I was a social media holdout. Okay, now I write on Twitter. Um, I write on Twitter as a as a writer. I love the 140 characters mm-hmm. and the discipline and you know crafting these little stanzas. They're like little stanzas, little poems of my observations of the world. You know, you're not going to hear about that I shaved my armpits <laughs> and the razor broke or something. You know, well maybe you would. That might be interesting. No, never mind. <laughs> But in the scheme of things, um, what I'm looking at is, 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 is A, our discourse has changed. Okay? How we interact with each other in service has changed. Um, our populations have changed radically. Um, our education system has 
started to show that it is failing radically. Um, so, sorry, can I just interrupt though on that? Sure. Started to show it, but but not started. I mean, do you do you not have a sense that that started? A long time ago. Well, here's my thing: is a friend of mine said before uh, before this, the century turned that life as we know it was 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 changing because I was I was meeting I was running into some of the issues that were just just starting to rear their heads, but they weren't overshadowing everything. And then we went into war and more war and you know the natural disasters and what happened in Louisiana and. You know, just there's some things in terms of our humanity. The shift of who we are as a people changed. And, you know, I go all over the place and talk to people and listen to people. And, um, you know, I'm a boomer. And so we have a different relationship with the world than um, Michelle's group. And what I like about the younger group, the younger people, the hip-hop generation, and, you know, I try to talk to some of my generation, I hate hip-hop, and like, you know, you don't understand, you don't understand, this is, you know, this is like, hip-hop is like survival, it's like recreating and survival and making a statement, uh, 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 taking a stand about, you know, being empowered. Hip-hop poets and the young poets, they weren't poor, starving artists, poor poets, you know, they created CDs, they were hustling CDs and doing venues and passing the hats, so nobody, nobody ever went to a poetry venue that was a feature and went away without any money. You know, um, they really decided that they needed to own their reality, create reality by a different set of rules, which was, you know, we can share, you know, as opposed to, oh, it's all mine. You know, um, so, 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 and we're looking at cultural, uh, sort of cultural wars, and this whole thing about religion is crazy. I mean, and, and the other thing, you know, I, I talk to people about this when I grew up. I grew up in the Catholic Church where beating, beating children in, beating children in front of the class was, you know, sort of okay. Parents would come into the school and beat the children in front of the classroom. I see some heads nodding. Yes. Okay, yeah. Accepted. But exactly, expected, you know. And now it's like, you know, um, you swat your kid on the butt for doing something wrong, and, you know, that's child abuse. But, you know, I grew up in the days of child abuse, so I know what it looked like. Mm. You know, I know what it looked like. Um, So, and and freedom of speech, and how we use the ability to speak, and judgment. We went from, you know, well, people were judgmental. Everybody's judgmental. Young people say everybody's judgmental. You know, we don't have to be. But what has happened is, is that, you know, we live in a society where people are, you know, constantly judging everything about everybody and every single moment. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's an unstabilizing sort of uh, a, a, a affect to the society. You know, and so that's, that's why I said I'm looking at this is how my brain works. Mm-hmm. You know, so that I'm looking at all of these shifts and how they, how they affect the human organism. And then what spits out it's probably going to be less techy and more about the human, the spirit, you know. And um, I, I don't know if anybody knows about TED Talks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a TED Talk uh, person, and I'm actually part of one of the TED Talk groups. And, you know, I, I really believe that the power of our language, what we say and what we do and who is, is, is this biggest, has the, can have the biggest effect in changing culture. I mean, every time we say something to whomever it is that we speak to, like when you came up and you're like, I'm, 
kind of ask some questions, you yeah. know, don't really pay attention to me. And I'm like, yeah. no, we love you. Thank yeah. you for being here. I'm really glad you're oh, here. You. Um, but, you know, just that, that we are engaging. I'm engaging with you because it's making me feel good. You know, I'm acknowledging you because it's making me feel good, and then you'll feel good, and then you'll go acknowledge somebody else. You know, so I'm sorry. I think I went to a preach there. <laughs> it's all right. Um, well, maybe we should um, do some more, a little more poetry. Is that good? Good timing for? Is that okay? Anybody oh, else um, have any questions? Were there other burning, burning questions, questions in the or, room? Oh, we got okay. one. We have, we got okay. two. Okay. Oh, go ahead. I'll, I'll have a shorter answer next time. <laughs> How y'all doing? All right. Good. Um, I wanted to know what type of advice you had for someone who's not really a writer, but more so of an artist and just likes to perform pretty much. Um, I do write, but um, really not, more, not, don't consider myself a writer per se. Well, can I ask you this question? What other things do you do besides write? I mean, do you, you say you do, you're an artist and you, do you incorporate music or you just... Um, yeah, I, I, can write, I write music. I write mostly poetry. Um, I'm an actor, uh, comedy. I pretty well, much write what's on my mind. Well, my first thing to you, kind sir, is to embrace the fact that you're a writer. Because <laughs> okay. you just, you, you said, I'm not really a writer, I'm an artist. And yeah. then you said, well, I don't really, well, I write. Po- poems mainly and just you know just know that embrace the very first thing you have to do is embrace who you are and what you do and be okay with it you know what I'm saying regardless of what because because a lot of times we shy away from embracing it if we think people won't accept it as good writing but if you like it we love it and the only way to sell something and really sell it is to believe in it yourself. So before anything else, start with going inside and saying, hey, you know what? I'm a writer. And then accept the responsibility because there's a big one that comes with it. But you've been doing it. You do comedy, for goodness sake. That's hard. Yeah. I'm a host. I'm a host. I'm a promoter. I host at Bus Boys and Poets every third Thursday in Highsville. I run Be Free Fridays. I host that the last Friday of every month, and I host Warm Wednesdays every w- third Wednesday of the month. This is what I do. I see, these, I see people come in, and I see them shaking and say, oh, I'm not really a poet, and get up there and kill. And when I say kill, I mean they move people to, to beyond, like beyond compare. And, they, and their, their, their timid nature and everything, I mean, it's okay at first, but I always tell them, you did that. That's you. Own that. You know what I'm saying? And comedians, that's not easy. So I know that not only are you a writer, you're a quick thinker. You're engaging. People laugh. So know all that about you and be okay with it. Okay? Cool. Thank you. You're welcome. Shall we do some more poetry? And then people can, there will be a little time afterwards, we hope, if you wanted to ask another question. Um, Some more poetry. Great. Thank you. So in my introduction, it was mentioned that I am a Punani poet. And everyone got a little shy and shame when he heard the word Punani. He liked it. 
And that's what he said. And so one thing about the Poonani Poets, it did come to fame in uh, 2001 on HBO's Real Sex as a sex education theater troupe. That's what it is. I've been a member for the last five. I've been a member for the last five years. Um, and we take poetry. We write, I write erotic poetry. I'm not an erotic poet, but I, I do write erotic poetry as a gateway. And it's, you, you'll find it very interesting that we reach audience of people who aren't poetry audiences. And once they hear the work and understand the content and what it is we're trying to do, safe sex, love, how to be, you know what I mean, with your partner, all these things, they want to hear everything else you've ever done. And you have automatically made people believers in poetry who all were always like, ah, I can't deal. Now they're like, ooh, what's that? That was all right. So this piece is one of the pieces I, I'm um, dubbed the lesbian laureate of the Punani poets. And one, <laughs> that's fun. Um, one, of the, one of the pieces that I actually auditioned with um, is this one, and it just tells a story, and it does speak, it speaks about the fact that we are far more than just sex, do it, do it, do it, sex, sex, do it. Passion fruity, brothers walking round here doing double duty, passion fruity. Embracing locked the closet, but she had the key. Passion fruity. She used it, lost the spirit. She used it, lost the spirit. She used it, lost the spirit while setting his free. Over passion fruity, he sits quietly in the corner with his man. Knowing that his passion is in bland, it's laced with a sweet taste, almost fruity. But he looks his wife in the eye and tells her he loves her because he feels like it's his duty. Lying in sheets. Lying, he holds her hand in the streets, gripping his own tongue with his teeth, scared it will betray him. His lies become unsheathed, and she wonders why he's always so slow to speak with her. But will stop everything to activate his cell phone speaker to holler at Roger, but that's what men do. Roll with the boys, find joy in bonding, but they don't watch football together. They meet at the mall or at the church hall where I'm singing praises, bouncing off walls, thinking God for giving me love, true. But he sits only next to Roger in the pew. Even when I'm not in the choir loft. But that's his boy. Nothing I can do. It's some man law. But I do see how he looks at Roger's sister. I hope he's not going places with her, using his boy as a cover. I wonder. I wonder if she notices the way I look in his eyes. Sees his hand on my thigh in the sanctuary. His touch makes me high and it's, it's, it's all a little scary and I'm, I'm wrong for cheating, but I've been momentarily weakened every single weekend. But I'm not gay. I'm just experimenting. And, and she gets plenty of love, and I guess no complaining that we're married, so we don't use protection. She gets suspicious if I start a barrier place, and then, honestly, I like penetration. So I close my eyes to escape whenever he puts it in, pretending like this isn't what it is, so I don't know where he's been or if he has anything, because I don't ask. 
I just like the pressure he supplies with more than just his hands. And if she were ever to find out, she'd be hard pressed to understand that I need this. And I need her too. Every man has an image he must adhere to. What else can I do? Now, Roger has another perspective. Because his reality is different. See, he's honest with himself about his lifestyle. Does what he needs to do with a smile and people love him if they know or if they don't. And he's trying hard not to fall in love with a married man. There's no need for another heartbreaking. But he's like a drug zone and he's drawn to it. His style, his intellect, his scent. And that's exactly how she describes it. So they both sit separate. Passion fruit tea steeping both wife and lover. Ready to partake of it hasty. Unknowing that he loves and protects only him. Reveling in his hidden passions, far from bland, he makes sure that it's tasty, almost fruity. See, he be passion fruity. Brothers walking round here doing double duty. Passion fruity. See, one night he slips. He slips a kiss to his sweetie in his sleep. Says, baby, please take me. Flips the position, reverse spooning. Awaken suddenly, she says nothing. Raj, please take me. She says nothing. Watching the key turning. Unsure what she's seeing, hearing, feeling. Her heart breaking, her soul aching. He grabs for him. He grasps her skin. She realizes his affliction, his affinity for cheating. So she forces him to feel her, realize what he is doing. A rude awakening to her on his cell phone, simply communicating. Roger. He's calling for you in his sleep. My husband. I shouldn't be hearing this conversation. Here he is. Take him. He sits baffled. Appearances trampled. And she, shackled, forcibly gives him his freedom. Passion fruity. Brothers walking round here doing double duty. Passion fruity. Embrace and lock the closet, but she had the key. Passion fruity. She used it, lost her spirit. She used it. Lost her spirit, she used it. Lost her spirit while setting his free.
love poem for America. Keep going. America, you deserve a love poem, not a sword. You deserve to be, and I'm going to stop, and I'm going to go back, and you keep going, because this is a love poem for us. We are America. You deserve a love poem. You deserve to be elevated by luminous utterances rather than by color-coded security alerts. And even though I know you don't really trust true declarations of love anymore, too many of the weak repetitions of the greedy old words have tainted your receptors and too much spending time in the precincts of pretense have stunted your growth. I swear, I know what a good love poem would do for you. How it could make you over. I'm not talking artificially retouched. I'm talking transported. Total transformation. Transported into a pristine wilderness for months or more with no mirror to check your progress. Away from your 24-7 instant alert TV for hire and emails urgently begging attention and megastrip malls hungry for plastic and mileage calculations tracking gallons of gas and strangers yelling into invisible cell phones. I want to sweep you off your agenda, help you remember cravings for rich, unretouched food, sparkling sewage, and lead-free water. I want you to marvel over well-placed words, wonder at the abundance of natural art, live in the bliss of elastic time away from your necessary things. America, America, you deserve a love poem that rocks you from the inside, that streams but doesn't drown you. You deserve to have your, you deserve to have your, You deserve to have your well of sweetness open so that truth can return to your voice. America, are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? Breathing you in. Exhaling. Dreaming you out. Namaste. I want to thank Lisa for all your work chasing us down to get us here. I want to thank all of you for your true heart listening. I really appreciate it. I want to thank Love. I want to thank, I can't remember your name. That's okay.
Kathleen. Uh, Kathleen, <laughs> <laughs> for having us. It was a Thank blast. you so much. Can I say it? Can I say it? Oh, did you want to take it?